Welcome to Witness to Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society. My name is Patrice Dutille. Well, the election of 2021 came and went, and not much happened. Now that all the votes have been counted, we know that the Liberals gained five seats for a tally of 160 and took almost 33% of the vote. The Conservatives took almost 34% of the vote, but only managed to retain their 119 seats. The New Democrats took almost 18% of the vote and gained one seat for a total of 25, while the Bloc Québécois kept its support at almost 8% and retained 32 seats. It was a tight race. 100 years ago, however, Canada also experienced a tight race, but it was a completely different story, and to talk about it, I re-invited Raymond Blake, professor of history at the University of Regina, to join me. Blake is the author of numerous books, including more recently of Where Once They Stood, Newfoundland's Rocky Road to Canada, a book he wrote with Melvin Baker, and Celebrating Canada, Commemorations, Anniversaries, and National Symbols, Volume 2, which he edited with Matthew Hayday. We reached Professor Blake at his office in Regina. Raymond Blake, welcome for the second time to Witness to Yesterday. Thank you very much, Patrice. It's always a delight to be, uh, to be with you. You're the witness to yesterday for this episode. What happened on December 6th, 1921? You know, one thing that we sometimes forget, this was the first election that all women in Canada were eligible to vote. And it was the first election after World War I, and the election revealed great regional, racial, and economic divisions in Canada. But as you said at the outset, it was a very close race. There were 235 seats up for grabs in the Canadian House of Commons. 118 were needed for a majority. And in this election, a number of strange things happened. Uh, The Prairies voted heavily for a brand new party, the Progressive Party, uh, primarily a farmer's party. It took 37 seats in the prairies. Uh, The Conservatives did not win a single seat uh, between the Ontario border and British Columbia. Uh, Ontario voted uh, for farmers. And in that election, Mackenzie King won 118 seats, 116 if you don't count the independent Liberals, but, you know, a bare majority. The Conservatives, a brand new party, 64 seats. The Conservatives, which had led Canada through World War One, were lost 100 seats from the previous election, 103, I think, to be exact. Uh, 150 in this election, a terrible loss for them. Uh, five independents, uh, a rather strange, not unlike the result we just had with a with a very close, with a clo- close uh, in Parliament with the different parties. Okay, let, let's take this apart. Um, this is Mackenzie King's first victory. Now, we know Mackenzie King fairly well 100 years later, but not too many people knew him in 1921. Who was this guy? Well, you know, we sometimes forget. You know, if Canadians remember Mackenzie King at all, they probably remember this portly, rather elderly, uh, stodgy, no charisma man of the end of the Second World War. He died in 1950, as you know. But in 1921, Mackenzie King had just become the leader of the Liberal Party. 
he was 46, which is about the same age that Justin Trudeau was uh, when he became prime minister, a year or so younger than Pierre Trudeau when he became prime minister. So he's a pretty young guy. Um, he was born in 1874, the same year that his chief nemesis and the leader of the Conservative Party was born. Now we're talking about Arthur Mayne here. But we'll come to him later. And, and Mackenzie King was the, the the grandson. His grandfather was was William Lyon Mackenzie, the great. I don't know if we call him great. The rebel of 1837, who had lost, of course, in the rebellion. He had fled to the United States. He had tried to rally some support in the United States. He was arrested in the United States, thrown in jail, uh, finally given uh, a pardon and given a pardon by the Canadian government in 1849, came back. And on his mother's side, his grandfather became a, an important figure. And so a number of people say that Mackenzie King's life was designed to carry on the reforms of his grandfather and to rehabilitate his grandfather. He went to U of T, University of Toronto, studied at a couple of American universities, got a PhD in economics from Harvard University. Um, no less. Absolutely. You know, we can... We, <laughs> PhD from Harvard. I mean, we don't have that. <laughs> uh, but Mackenzie King didn't go to a, 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 a Canadian universities for his graduate work, came back, joined the civil service at a pretty young age, um, uh, became deputy minister at a pretty young age in the new Department of Labor, won a seat in Parliament in 1908, uh, lost um, a, a little later on in 1911, a free trade election. Then he went and he worked for <laughs> worked for the Rockefeller Foundation as a labor expert. This was a period of tremendous labor upheaval. And so Mackenzie King came back to Canada uh, and ran later on for the Liberal Party leadership. Now, that leadership race is really an important event. He's elected leader of the Liberal Party in the in 1919. Sir Wilfred dies in, in February of 1919. Um, what was the significance about how he was made leader, this Mackenzie King? Well, you, you know, the, the the liberals were great innovators. They decided that instead of having the caucus choose the new leader, that they would have a national leadership convention, the first of its kind in, in Canada. And Mackenzie King was one of... I believe it was four uh, candidates for that top job. And of course, it was the first leadership convention liberals had in 30 years because Sir Wilfrid Laurier had been a leader since the 1880s. And as you said, he had died and they were looking for a new leader. And and this convention wasn't like the way that we normally had them, where we have all the candidates giving their speeches to the big convention and then they would vote. The candidates didn't give a convention speech, but they were, of course, participating very heavily in the, the policy debates. And this is apparently where Mackenzie King really outshone his competitors. The others, we should add, uh, have been around for a very long time. Uh, probably the one with the inside track was W.S. Fielding, a former premier of Nova Scotia, who joined with Laurier in 1896. And he is sort of in his 70s by this time. And here's Mackenzie King, you know, just turned 40 or a little over 40. So it's a youth against 
<laughs> you know, it, it's a young man against uh, some rather old guys. Experience and wisdom, <laughs> we call it now. <laughs> Experience and wisdom, and and uh, both of which you have a lot of, uh, Patrice. And, and, and so Mackenzie King, in this convention, talked about, I guess we would call him today, he's a progressive. He's talking about a living wage for workers. He's talking about old age pensions. He's talking about unemployment insurance. He's talking about like an eight hour work day. And, and he's talking about mother's allowances and, and other social programs. And of course, in the convention, he doesn't let anyone forget that he was very close to Laurier. And in those great debates over conscription and and, and free trade. He was in Laurier's corner. And that matters because here's an old guy who had been the leader of the party for a very long time. And Mackenzie King is sort of riding on his coattails, but adding something extra. It takes three ballots, I believe it is. And McCain, Mackenzie King led on the first and the second. And on the third, he sort of, uh, it becomes the leader. And, and throughout the campaign, for leader, Mackenzie Kings talks about the Liberal Party being a big tent. You know, we heard this, you know, uh, for a very long time. And he says that it has to create space for everyone in the nation. So Mackenzie King is a progressive. He wins. And um, and now, of course, uh, he's opposition leader. Well, OK, so he, he makes an attempt to broaden the tent, but obviously it doesn't work because there's this other party, as you said at the outset, the progressives. And this is fundamentally new about the 1921 election. We, the, the, the bipartisan uh, structure, the two-party system of Canada, which had been a feature of Canada since 1867, collapses. Uh, a progressive party starts up in the West, and it's led by a fellow called Thomas Crerar. Who's Thomas Crerar? Well, well, you know, uh, Thomas Crerar, is an, an interesting individual. He, like so many people in Manitoba, you know, moved with his family at the turn of the century. Uh, he, he, he becomes a, a, a grain farmer. He eventually moves into sort of a buying and selling of grain and becomes very successful. And because of his success and his uh, becomes a spokesman for Western Canada, particularly farmers. Uh, Prime Minister Robert Borden invites him to join the unionist government, which brought together, you know, some liberals and, and, and conservatives. And, and so Crayar is brought into this party, uh, becomes Minister of Agriculture, you know, uh, Borden, a very wise man to have people who's going to uh, support the conscription issue. And, and but Crayar never is quite comfortable within this party. He is worried that the conservatives, uh, the you know, the, after the Second First World War, uh, you know, the Unionist Party returns to its sort of conservative roots, uh, that they are very much a high tariff party, something that Western farmers don't want. They're concerned about freight rates. Uh, uh, farmers were concerned and angry because their sons, after you know, being some promise not being conscripted, were conscripted. 
And so Crear resigns in 1919, uh, once the war is over, and returns to the farm organizations and continues to be a spokesman for Western Canada. And in 1921, he decides, like many farmers uh, who are uh, worried that the world is changing, their place is no longer secure, and uh, they sort of come together and form a political party, and he becomes their first leader in 19 in 1921 and as you said these these guys will pick up from nothing will pick up 58 seats in 1921 uh the liberals of course make huge gains also but it's clear that the reaction against the unionist party did not translate into wholesale support for the liberals it went to these western progressives at least as far as the west is concerned all the seats are in the west right Yes. One or two, I think, um, in Ontario. And it's important to say that Ontario had just elected the a farmer government in Ontario in 1919. So, I mean, the flavor of the day was very much farmer parties. Absolutely. Now, the the big losers here, you mentioned it at the outset. I want to talk about them for a second, is the, the conservatives. These are the guys that had won under the unionist banner massive support out west in the 1917 election. They had lost massively out west in in reciprocity, the reciprocity election of 1911. So you had a flip-flop there. 1911, they lose the west. 1917, they win the west. 1921, they lose the West again. They are led by a Westerner, Ray Blake. Arthur Meehan, who is this man, and why Why? Why did he lose so badly? Well, well you know, I, I think there, there's a couple of things going on here. One, the, you know, the post-war period is not a particularly rosy time in, in, in Canada economically, socially. Now, there's a lot of discontent, uh, you know, coming out of the war. Yeah, unlike the Second World War, where there was a lot of planning going on as soon as the war began, um, you know, in World War One, it was like, oh, let's go and win this war, and and no thought about how we're going to deal with things like inflation, how we're going to deal with, you know, getting the soldiers back from France, how are we going to deal with, you know, rising prices, and and so the 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 post-war period becomes very very difficult for the for the party in office. You know, uh, and in the West in particular, uh, the grain prices just collapse. You know, they were just booming during World War during World War One, and then they collapse in the post-war period. And they were demanding help and, and they're not particularly getting it. And and so, you know, I tell my students about Arthur Meehan. I, I, I tell them that he is probably one of the most brilliant politicians that ever entered the House of Commons. You know, we, we sometimes forget that, you know, Sir Robert Borden had to, well, in his view, he had to win, you know, that, that election of 1917 for to get conscription. And one of the things that his Solicitor General, who was Arthur Meehan, came up with was this notion of the Military Voters Act. And the Military Voters Act, you know, it's probably as undemocratic as you can imagine. But at the same time, it was designed so that they would win the election. 
in a rather unscrupulous way, but I suppose it passed Parliament, so at the, at the time it was legal. You know, taking the votes away from certain people you think may not vote, giving it to those who you think, like mothers and sisters, with people with close relatives in, in the army fighting, um, you know, was a stroke of genius. And, and this was Arthur Meehan, was, was much of the brains behind this. But, but Meehan, of course, was principal, and he never quite <laughs> under, understood, I, I don't think, he never quite understood that one, that being principled and being extreme and inflexible is not a way to win an election. And, and, and Arthur Meehan was all of those things, that he was inflexible. He says, you know, come hell or high water, we're keeping the tariff, even though people in, in Ontario and, and the West, particularly farmers, were saying, you know, tariffs is a problem. You've got to lower freight rates. And, and Arthur Meehan would say, damn it, no, freight rates are saying where they are. So, um, and then, of course, he was involved in the Winnipeg General Strike. You know, he went to Winnipeg during the general strike, uh, was very instrumental in crushing labor, using the power of the state to do so. So, you know, he was hurt by his past, and he was also hurt by his present, and by the present. And if you really think about one comment in Mackenzie King's diary, which I find fascinating, he writes when he hears that the, that the Conservative Party have selected Arthur Meehan as their Prime, as their leader and, and Prime Minister, Mackenzie King writes, it is too good to be true. They'll be enemies for, for most of their careers. They're probably still enemies wherever they are now. And, uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right. They, they are. They knew each other at U of T, at University of Toronto. Uh, they entered Parliament at the same time. Uh, Mackenzie King, you know, for some reason, disliked him from the beginning. Eat just like Mackenzie King from the <laughs> and so yeah you're right they were they were enemies to the better end Co completely different styles where Mackenzie King is always obfuscating and leaning a little bit towards the left but speaking to the right and governing to the right and speaking to the left me and presents this principled uh, approach that I mean this is politics it's not about principles right it's not about <laughs> it hasn't changed. Um, how did Mackenzie King, you say again, at the outset you said this was, they needed 118 seats to um, run government to win the support of the House. They come very close because they have the support of a few independent liberals. They they, they keep the support of the House. How does, but still, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a flat majority. Um, how does Mackenzie King manage through those first four years, 1921 to 1925? What does he actually do with his government? Well, well, you know, one of the things that Mackenzie King has, has been very fortunate of uh, with is that you know Arthur Meehan and the Conservatives or the Unionist government, um, you know, they have blood on their hands, particularly when it comes to conscription. And there were lots of people in Canada who did not want conscription. And as a province, you know, Quebec probably uh, was more opposed to it than any other province. But that doesn't mean that there weren't pockets of, of, of resistance. And, and of course, Mackenzie King comes to Parliament uh, winning every seat in Quebec. Uh, and, and Mackenzie King, as you know, a small majority, he's got to keep them on side. <laughs> he's got to keep them on side. And and one of the things, as you just alluded to, is Mackenzie King would talk about issues never in black and white. You know, Mackenzie King was always 
there was a lot of gray. So when he talked about the tariff, he he would he would he would say, you know, this is a revenue tariff, and and Arthur Meehan in Parliament would continually, you know, just completely harass him over, you know, what do you mean a revenue tariff? What does that mean? Is it up? Is it down? Is it saying the same? And and of course, McKing King, um, you know, really didn't answer because his goal was. And, and we can be cynical and say Mackenzie King was, you know, just a politician and nothing else. But, you know, if you look at him over the, you know, the next 30 years that he's around um, in, in Parliament, that he really did want to, you know, national unity, no Canadian prime minister can be concerned um, uh, with anything more than that national unity file. And so Mackenzie King recognize and 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 I, I like to, to I talk about this with my students sometimes that you know today we talk about multiple identities in Canada. Mackenzie King recognized that there were multiple identities in Canada right before that election of nineteen twenty one and certainly after. So he had to make sure that he kept the agrarian interests happy. He had to keep Quebec happy. He had to keep industrialists happy, uh, particularly those in Ontario and, and, and Quebec and they had to be brought together. And so Mackenzie King started to introduce a, a variety of policies, like, for example, restoring the crow's nest uh, freight rate, uh, which, you know, moved, uh, 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 moved grain across the country and some of the farmers' uh, implements that they would need and, and supplies west. So it reduced the, the that was canceled during World War One. He restored that. Uh, in World War II. He built new railways, you know, a new line to Hudson's Bay so that the farmers would have a quicker, uh, would have a quicker access to a seaport uh, rather than going through, you know, eastern Canada. So he, he, he did that. He, he also talked about lowering the tariff um, on some farm equipment and machinery. And, and what he also tried to do uh, is to bring in balanced budgets. So these things were important. Uh, there have been huge deficits during the First World War. He talked about sound administration. He talked about being practical with the taxpayers. Well, I guess the difference are taxpayers' money, but with revenues that were coming in. And he also created CN. So he built a new um, a new railway network that ran sort of, so now there are two lines going through the prairies of the old bank route, um, you know, Grand Pacific, uh, Grand Trunk Pacific, and a variety of others that were around the intercolonial and so on. So he's doing some small things to try to bring people on side, but never, but never forgetting about Thomas Criar and the progressives. Uh, one of the things that he, he did through Parliament, you'll see this in his diaries, you know, at another conversations with Thomas Criar today. So, you know, when he's building the, uh, trying to sort of build the CN out of those bankrupt lines, you know, he never leaves them sort of uh, eye and dry. He keeps them involved. When he's, there's a crisis uh, happening in, 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 you know, in, uh, in, in Eastern Europe, uh, around the Dardanelles and around Turkey and, and, and Greece. And, and he doesn't want to get involved in this. But as he's negotiating with the British and talking to the British, he's keeping Thomas Criar uh, uh, informed of what his discussions are. And, and then, of course, he believes that 
I think, uh, you know, this is a well-known phrase among Canadian historians, that those progressives are just liberals in an hurry. You've heard that many times. And and so he says, you know, they will come back. They'll come come back to the fold. Um, so, so he never forgets that. He, he doesn't say, you know, to hell with them, uh, but he wants to bring them back in. But, it, I mean, I don't want to race too far forward here, but he's right, because in 1925, the 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 progressives will lose half their support um and and most of these uh will i mean they either don't run or they run as liberals uh but but mackenzie king really did uh win on uh, well he won to a certain degree on his on his on his gamble in that progressives return to the vote but i don't want to go too far i want to come back to mackenzie king uh, in 1921, you, know, you mentioned the the crisis in Turkey that's known as the Shanak crisis. Again, Mackenzie King being very careful that he does not want to alarm Quebec. This was a, a situation where the the uh, British government had assumed that Canada would come to the help of the empire as it had during the First World War, and Mackenzie King absolutely decries that notion. Says there's no way Canada is getting involved. The Quebec opinion simply does is in no mood whatsoever to uh, to get involved in in a, in a and an empire adventure. There's another one that's often remembered uh, about the Mackenzie King government of that period, and that's the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, the idea there that, uh, I mean, Mackenzie King, who'd always been, I mean, can we call him a racist, Raymond? Uh, he was a racist. Um, the Chinese Exclusion Act really uh, cemented the, the, the notion that there would be no more Chinese uh, immigrants to Canada. Uh, again, was this was this a, a political act, or or was this something that really um, emanated from from his heart? He'd been involved in anti-immigration uh, policies in the past when he was deputy minister of labor. He went to Japan and negotiated a deal to minimize Japanese. What's your view on that? Well, you you know, I I think Mackenzie King, as he wanted to bring you know, the, the the farmers back into his party, he realized that in British Columbia, there were, you know, there were real, there were real problems, you know, racial problems in, in, in British Columbia. We see, and of course, we see these played out in the Second World War with the Japanese internment and so on. But, you know, I think Mackenzie King, you know, struggled with some of those things. Um, you know, Mackenzie King saw, saw, the Asia, or he would call it the Orient, you know, saw Asia as a real opportunity for Canada. And he saw, you know, the North American continent sort of being a, 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 a sort of a place that that could, that could uh, you know, act as a, a sort of a, 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 I guess, a middle point between Europe and, and, and Asia. And, 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 and so, you know, in the one sense, he, he, he's, he's doing things, but Mackenzie King, as you know, does things when he thinks it's right to do so. You know, so so those legislative, those racist legislative policies are put in place because he's he's catering to a particular group. But it's also interesting to note that Mackenzie King removes those policies uh, in a speech in 1946-47 because he realizes by then that, you know, coming out of the Second World War, that those policies are discriminatory and Canada, and he always liked to talk about Canada as an example to the world. Uh, he did this all the time when he was in, in Europe. And, and so he removed those policies, you know, 20, 15 years later. 
and 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 yet so I don't know where his mind is. I, I think he evolves. One of the things that he likes to talk about, and he talks about this with the progressives, is that he's a humanitarian, that he understands he understands people. And of course, coming out of that labor tradition, uh, you know, where he was sort of an expert at uh, managing uh, people, uh, and, and he begins to see that, that you know, I, I care. I care about people. I care about all people. I care about workers. I care about farmers. I don't think he's in 1920 saying, I care about, you know, uh, uh, about Chinese and I want more Chinese in Canada. He's not there. But later on, he reverses the policies that he puts in place when he realizes the situation changes. Okay, so you've painted a picture of a Mackenzie King that's trying to get things done. And then in 1925, there's a new election. And lo and behold, he doesn't win it. Um, you you have a completely different situation. Uh, what happened to the liberals? You know, uh, you you mentioned a moment ago, he was successful in bringing the the West back in. You know, uh, they they won. I, I don't know the exact number in front of me, but I think it was 16 or 17 seats in, in Western Canada. So, you know, Mackenzie King went into that election thinking that, you know, it's cool. I, you know, I got this. I, I, I got this. Uh, I got this. <laughs> I got this. We've done everything that we we said. You know, we've made some major uh, we made some major changes um, to the party and policy and so on. But I think there was a couple of things happened. Even though he increased his his seats in Western Canada, um, but people in Ontario and particularly in Western Canada were saying, you know, Mr. McKenzie King, you've paid too much attention uh, to them, and you've forgotten all about us. So they lose ten seats in Ontario, they lose nineteen seats in the Maritimes, um, and so, but he wins. You know, 59 seats in Quebec, not quite all of them. Uh, he had 165, I think, in 1921. He only wins, only wins uh, 59 here. But he drops from 118 seats down to 99 seats. But the progressives, although just coming apart as a party, have 24 seats. Their 24, with Mackenzie King's 99, would be much more than 116, I think, that Arthur Meehan wins. So Arthur Meehan is a remarkable uh, success story here. You know, he brought his party back from, you know, 50 seats, 49, 50 seats, to almost a majority, not unlike, uh, almost as good as Mr. Trudeau did in, in, in 2016 with the Liberal Party. I mean, he gained 66 seats in 1925. I mean, Arthur Mann, for all his arrogance, uh, managed to whip up a storm, and he and he will regain some powers. I mean, he'll he'll regain some some support in Ontario and in the West. What can we say about this uh, election then of 1921? I mean, in the sense that it got it got Mackenzie King elected. It got Mackenzie King to be prime minister. He attempts to do many different things. He succeeds in some. He doesn't particularly succeed in others. He loses the election of, of 1925. If, again, if you look at the count, you've got 115 seats going to the uh, conservatives, about 100 seats going to the liberals. 
the progressives collapsed. What happened to the progressives? They're now led by a guy called Robert Fork, who's been completely forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. Completely forgotten. Well, you know, I, I think that, you know, Thomas Criar, the first leader, you know, they were opposed to both political parties. And and I, I think that Criar went into the election 1921 saying, you know, let's pull our support and, and let's force change in, in, in the way that some policies are enacted, those that impact us greater. Well, when they got to Ottawa, they realized that a large group within the progressives aided all political parties, including their own. And, and so they didn't want any of the structures. They refused to be the, uh, you know, the official, the, 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 their majesty's loyal opposition. So that went to, to, uh, to, to, me and, and and so then they were struggling over are we a political party or should we and they had this notion of group government and a number of them Henry Wise Wood from Alberta in particular was saying you know what we really need in parliament are groups representing the various economic and social interests they would come together and of course they would counter each other selfishness um, through dialogue and everyone would sort of come to some sort of an accommodation and everyone would get some of what they wanted well Creon found that this was just impossible and and so he, he he packed it in and went home and and the conserv and and the progressives stay around i think till about 1940 uh, or so but they're really a spent force and and they become more and more entwined in 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 the liberal in the liberal party so so they become almost a non-entity after 1925 but as you say one would have thought that Mackenzie king his career would probably have been over a number of people didn't really want him to be leader they thought he was too young too inexperienced um and then of course when he lost in 19 <laughs> in in 1925 the knives were out uh, but Mackenzie King, who, you know, I'm sure you'll you'll talk about the King Bing affair at some other time, but he changes the dynamics in an election by attacking not necessarily a governor general, but by interference by uh, outsiders in Canadian politics, and he. And again, Arthur Meehan, you know, rushes to defense of imperialism and the governor general. And Mackenzie King really does a number on Mr. Meehan. And Mr. Meehan, of course, uh, loses badly in the election which follows in 1926. The 1920s were uh, year, years of political, political ups and downs, weren't they? How are we supposed to remember then the 1921 election, Ray? A hundred years later, what are we supposed to think? We're dealing with the same sorts of problems, same sorts of issues as, you know, they were in 1921. You know, we have a block, uh, you know, from one part of the country. We still have a block from another part of the country. Uh, and, and, you know, it really, it really, managing Canada has always been difficult from John A. Macdonald onward. But, you know, but I think Mackenzie King really brought to the forefront the importance of political management and how do you manage how do you manage a nation like Canada with so many cleavages so uh, so many diverse regions 
And, and I think that when we look back at the 1921 election, we got to really look at Mackenzie King as well. Arthur Meehan is important, but he fades quickly from the political scene. He doesn't fade. He stays around until the 1940s, but never in a, in a position of power. And, but Mackenzie King really set a stage for what Canada would become within the next two generations. You know, things like social programs, Mackenzie King talks about. The progressives are pushing him on this. We'll see later on in the 1940s, there's a different party pushing him on this. And, and, and Mackenzie King really sits the agenda, I think, coming out or going into, but certainly coming out of 1921, uh, the agenda for two generations. And the legacy of that is still very much, very much with us. It gave us a three-party system, that's for sure. It gave us a lesson on the tight, tight politics of managing small majorities or even minorities. Um, these were years of, as I said, of, of tremendous uh, Tremendous ups and downs, and uh, well worth remembering. I always enjoyed talking about past elections in Canada and the lessons they offer. Thank you, Raymond Blake, for sharing your perspectives and for being the witness to yesterday on this podcast. Well, thank you very much, and keep up the good work that you and Greg are doing. Raymond Blake, whose recent book is Where Once They Stood, Newfoundland's Rocky Road to Canada, published by the University of Regina Press. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners that this podcast is made possible by the members of the Champlain Society, whose annual memberships make everything we do possible. Thank you. Thank you also to our growing list of sponsors, including the Hudson's Bay Company History Foundation, the L.R. Wilson Institute of History at McMaster University, and a consortium of Canadian scholarly book publishers that includes the University of Toronto Press, the University of British Columbia Press, McGill-Queens University Press, University of Regina Press, and the University of Ottawa Press. There's a way for you, the listener, to support this podcast. Please go to champlainsociety.ca to make a quick donation. The Champlain Society is a registered charity and will provide you with a tax receipt for any donation over $20. Any support goes a long way as the Champlain Society receives no government support for its operations, which always surprises people. And don't forget to support this podcast by telling all your friends in whatever way you prefer. My name is Patrice Dutil. This interview was recorded in what we hope is the last of the fourth wave of the COVID pandemic a few weeks before the 100th anniversary of the 1921 election. The recording was done on October 25th, 2021 by our producer, Jessica Schmidt. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.